you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I come here to bear testimony right off the beginning that God can and God does do great things through many different ways. Uh, this past week, the reason you see the kind of the remnants of this right here, uh, I came down with the shingles about a week ago. And if you've had them, you kind of know about how bad they can be. And three days ago, if you were to see me, my face swollen, eye completely closed, uh, the, the, the pain, go, go Google shingles on the internet and multiply seven times uh, what it says about the excruciating. And they would say it'd be impossible that I could stand before you here this morning and do my job. And I say thanks be to God by his power and by his mercy and by your prayers. A lot of people praying and doctors and nurses who use their skill just beyond measure to care for me. And uh, I'm here as a testimony to that. And also to bear testimony and the power of getting the shingles vaccine. Go get it. Go get it. Get on the list. Take care of yourself. Uh, hey, those that are watching online and those that are in the sanctuary and those that are at the very back, at the very, very back, 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 uh, I wish I was closer where I could say a connection with you. I, I would love to meet you after worship here. If you're online, you're watching or sanctuary, please pop around. I'd like to connect with you. Uh, true worth. And we just, again, are humbled that you continue to allow us to be a part of your lives in, in this miracle of technology. And so we, we thank you for that. We're going to begin our, our, our memory verse, and so I'm going to ask you to look to eyes of the screen. If you're a guest, we're memorizing a verse during our, our message series, My Family, My Crazy Family, and here's our verse. Say it with me, please. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. Now, take it off the screen. Now, say it with me again. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. When you're memorizing a Bible verse, you say the address at the end, Colossians 1.17. And our premise here for this whole message series is that we believe in our families, regardless how crazy they can be, in our marriages, that when Christ is at the center, it can all hold together. And we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit in a different way this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Uh, if you have your own Bibles, you're welcome to use them this morning. We're going to put a lot of stuff on the screen. I'm going to start off in Psalm 78, but I'm going to be moving so quickly through the Scriptures this morning. There's going to be a lot going to thrown at you. You probably won't have time to turn your Bibles, I'm telling you, every time we turn or we put it on the screen. But I want to encourage you to go back and make some markings in your Bible this week in your life steps. Remember, on the back, you have your life steps. Remember to help you ever as a tool on the back of your message notes. I want to encourage you to go back and reread some of these scriptures and make some notes in your Bible. In the scriptures, every single generation is challenged to think about the future of their children. This morning, we're doing that. We're thinking about our children and our grandchildren and the next generation beyond and then what it means to pass on the baton of faith. Here in Psalm 78, verse 4, it reads like this, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. And I have the word parenting written by that verse in my Bibles. You go back to Psalm 71, verse 18, I have the word grandparenting written down by this verse. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. 
till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Then from a little book called Joel, chapter 1, verse 3, we'll put it on the screen. It says, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and let them tell the next generation. In 1987, in Midland, Texas, there was an 18-month little girl playing in the backyard with her two cousins near an abandoned oil well, eight-inch opening at the top. She slipped and she falls into the well 23 feet below the surface of the ground. How many of you know this story and remember this occurrence? So you all know this is a worldwide news thing. And in a heartbeat... There were the best pediatricians and doctors and, and oil drilling engineers and drillers himself that assembled on the scene to get this little girl out of the well. She was stuck. And the question that all were asking was this, what is the best strategy to get her out? And they knew one strategy would not work. If they dug right on top of that well, right on top of it, there would be cave-in and the debris would probably just take her out. They knew if they drilled too close that the compression of the earth would push up against the casing of that well, crush her little body. So they decided the best strategy was to drill several feet away from the well and to dig down deeper than 23 feet, dig across and up and pull her down across and then out to set her free. So that was the strategy they all agreed upon. They began. It took longer than they thought. It was harder than they thought. So they drop a microphone down into the well, and the whole world is listening to baby Jessica. It was about freeing baby Jessica. It was around the news and, and no social media, but I'll tell you, it was in the newspaper, radio news, TV news. Everybody was, break, break into your favorite soap opera, you know. You got so upset about it years ago, you know. I learned about baby Jessica. And this little girl with the microphone, they wanted to see if she was breathing okay. And they heard this little girl, 18 months of age, singing songs she was taught in Sunday school. So she's stuck, scared to death, and the whole world is listening to her testimony. Jesus loves me, this I know. Her little body is getting dehydrated. She's scared. They're worried. They're working as fast as they can. Finally, 48 hours pass. And Robert O'Donnell is going to go down. So the world is watching. They know the moment has come. He enters into the shaft, crawls under, reaches up, comes back out empty-handed. Her little body had swollen, and she got stuck. He said, I couldn't even budge her. She's more tight than when she first fell into the well. Millions of dollars had already been spent. Best minds that you could gather. And now they're asking the question again, do we have the right strategy? Finally, 58 and a half hours later, winches and cables turning, they come up and there she is and she is free. Now the mission was very clear. Get her out of the well. The passion was off the chain. But it all came down to the strategy, to have the right strategy. The church, according to the younger generation, they would say is stuck. 
Maybe it's even stuck in a well down deep where they can't even see the church matters anymore. Are you aware that 50 to 75 churches close their doors every week? 50 to 75. 80% of all churches are declining or flatlined very slowly on hospice dying. 75 to 90% of high school going young people today, all the research shows when they graduate from high school, they will not continue matters of faith or commitment to church when that time comes. They'll just kind of drop it and kind of let it kind of let it kind of go. In 2019, at the end of this year, they're saying that our population of the world will be 7.7 billion. 50% of the population of the world is 30 years of age and younger. 33% is 15 years of old and under. Youth population is increasing. Youth participation in faith and worship is decreasing. And the question we in the church need to be asking and have been asking, do we have the right strategy? In America, for 200 years, the church has embraced a strategy called the drop-em-off strategy. It's the American way. You drop them off. It makes sense. I get it. Uh, Dallas and I, my wife, we have a 15-year-old granddaughter, uh, 15-month-old granddaughter, excuse me, 15 months. I know it'll be 15 years just like that, but she's 15 months old. She has me kind of wrapped around her finger, I'll, I'll admit. And I know the day is coming where she's going to say, Papa, I want to do this. Papa, I want to do that. And one day she may even say, Hey, Papa, I want to uh, go to gymnastics where I want to learn how to dance. And you know what I will do. I will go to Target, and I will buy the very best leotards that money can buy. And I'll find a way to put them on and get my little tights, and I'll go, no, I'm not doing that. And that's a picture I know some of you wish that you haven't even had in your head now. You're going to leave with that. You're going, no, no. What are we going to do? We're going to find the best expert we can. I'm going to find an expert and go drop her off and say, you make my granddaughter an Olympian. Right? Because that's what we do here in America. That's what we do with our kids. You take them to school and you drop them off. Educate them. You do it. You drop at swimming lessons. You drop them off at music lessons, at piano lessons, at hitting lessons. You name it. You drop them off and say, you do it. And the church has bought into that same strategy. Hey, just drop your kids off and we'll take care of it. And that strategy is not working. In November, Alan and I, as our executive pastor on staff, he and I were in Atlanta for a coaching conference with other senior pastors and leaders around America who wanted to get better as leaders, to do a better job so their church did not fall into that decline and lose connection with the reality of where people are in the world and just kind of get better. And so we're there for this conference. This is the third one of a two-day series of events. And at this particular one, they had all the pastors divide up in these small little groups. And they said, here's the question for you to talk about. Share with everybody who had the most influence in your spiritual development? Let me repeat the question. Who had the most influence upon your spiritual development? So you would think as a pastor, it'd be a seminary professor. 
It'd be a youth pastor, youth director. It'd be a pastor of some church or something like into that. That wasn't the answer. Across the board, highest percentage, mom and dad. Grandparents. Listen to this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's also called the Shema. It goes like this, beginning at verse 5. It's on the screen. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. And then it goes on. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. And I have underlined all these verses and put parenting right beside that. What does the Bible say? Not what does America say, not what does culture say, what does the Bible say is the primary way your kids are going to develop into a spiritual life. What is it? Moms and dads. It's the parents. So we as a church decided we really got to step back and ask the question, do we have the right strategy? Because if it's all about the moms and the dads and the grandparents, not just dropping them off. Is that the problem? Is that why kids are leaving the church? Because it's not happening at home. So we have a new strategy here. And so this morning, this weekend, I'm kind of sharing a little bit about what our new strategy is. So you kind of know. We've kind of been doing this for a while subtly, and now it's going full steam. And we're going to invite you to get on board. So I'm going to give you three guiding truths for all families. Here's three guiding truths. Here's the first one there in your message notes. Is that parents reproduce who they are. I want you to buy into that because it's true. You have the greatest influence over your children and your grandchildren. You will reproduce in your children your convictions, your beliefs, your value systems, your passions, and your interests. You are shaping the morals and the values of your kid by the way you live your life whether you want to or not. Most of your children, in many ways, will mirror your life. Some will go the exact opposite. That's a whole nother message thing. But you'll reproduce yourself. There's a young teenage boy in this church. He is angry, he is distant, and he is aloof. I know him. I know his family. His dad is angry, distant, and aloof. He has reproduced a distant and angry and aloof son. You will reproduce who you are. Proverbs 23, 6 goes like this. Some of you have heard this verse many times. It says, train up a child, show a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they will not turn from it. I remember vividly when I was a child growing up, my grandmother, I would go to her house, and I would never leave her house without her having sit in the, in the rocking chair until I was even much older, and she would open up the Bible, and she would just read the Bible and rock and read the Bible, and I was sitting right next to her. I have these vivid memories of my grandmother doing that, singing songs, Jesus loved me, teaching those. I, I, I will never forget. That rocking chair is still in my parents' home. Some of you have seen it, and I will go and sit in that chair often, and it connects me with the teaching of my grandmother. I have vivid memories of my parents that when I was young, and I began to learn how to read, and read enough on my own, they had a little Bible, and they gave it to me, 
and there are big pictures and big words, but not many words. And they say, not many words, but you need to read this, Rick. You, you need to learn to read this, and just a little bit, just a little bit. And, and they would do it with me, and I would learn to do it. And I had these vivid memories of my mom and dad with their Bible and it open. My mom and her Bible open. My dad and his Bible open, just reading the Bible. And with a little thing, a devotion, but called the upper room. And they would read the story, and sometimes we'd do it at the dinner table, all together as a family. And I had these vivid memories of that. I have vivid memories of my parents taking us to church. And we just went. It was the way we did. It was a lifestyle. It was no question. And they just weren't committed to, they just didn't go to church. They were committed to their church. Uh, my, my dad uh, was, a, was an ordained pastor, okay, but he didn't go to church with us. He was a chaplain at a hospital. And so he very rarely got to go with us. But he would tell on Saturday night, okay, kids, tomorrow morning you're getting up and mom's taking you to church, and I'll see you afterwards, or I'll meet you there as quick as I can get there. And there wasn't any question of us, of us kids saying, do we have to go, or are we going? It was just understood. You're going. And there was a consistency. It wasn't sporadic. It wasn't maybe. There was a consistency of this is just what we do as a family. And there was no saying, do I have to go today? I, I don't get this with parents today. Will you let your kids ask you, well, do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to go to school today? Hey, do I have to go to my job today? It's your job. Yes, you're going to school. Well, do I have to go to church today? No, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church, and we're going. Get in the car. <laughs> oh, I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm going to just turn out cramming in the throat. Yeah, right. You will reproduce who you are. Train a child in the way she will go. Train them when they're young and then see. There's a young man in his church. He's a young dad. He's a real young dad. And he's made a decision that when his kids go to school, the last thing they will see is him with his Bible open and his life steps at the, dinner ta- at the, at the table, at the breakfast table. And uh, they walk out the door to go to school on the bus or a friend or whatever, pick up, and they, their last image is that. And can you imagine the imprint that's going to have upon their kids? Uh, I've told you many times before, if you call this your church home, we have three sons. And one of the greatest joys of, of a dad was praying over my boys when I put them to bed at night, and I just loved doing that. And I prayed when they were small, when they were just born, till, till they left the house. And uh, I was sneaking to the room at night, even when they were big, they didn't know it, and I'd pray over their future and where God was going. But when they were small, I just loved to do that. And they would listen to me and kind of giggle and some of the things I would say. God, I just pray that Justin grows up and become a person of character and loves people. And, you know, that James will grow up and find his purpose in life. And I, I remember praying over Jacob. God, God, and Jacob was my challenge. I will just say we all have challenges. He, was saying, he may be here today. I'm saying he's my challenge. He knows it. He still challenges me. And I pray, God, I just, I just pray that, just, that Jacob will grow up to love you. And he would interrupt me and say, Dad, I already love God. Change your prayer. I say, don't interrupt my prayer, kid. I had a plan here. You messed it up, right? It's amazing how kids will do that. And, and today, Jacob is a dad. And he's praying over his daughter. I just pray that you will grow up to love God and God, that she will draw her close to you and she won't come to know you, God, in a powerful way. God, I just pray. See, here, church, you are the greatest influence from generation to generation to generation. And God has put you in position for lifelong influence. 
No one has the influence like you have. When your kids go to kindergarten, who is there? You're there. When your kids go to elementary, who is there? Not the children's pastor. You're there. When your kids go to elementary and high school, go to junior high and high school, who's the one to make sure they get there? And you do. And when they graduate from high school and they go to college, who pays for it? Not the church. <laughs> you do. And when they graduate seven years later, <laughs> bankrupt, who's celebrating the most? You are. And when they get married, and they have your first grandchild, who's there? You are. God has placed you in a proximity of position in the children and grandchildren of your lives to have influence over the course of their whole spiritual journey. And it's your responsibility. And you will reproduce who you are. You just will. You just will. And since we know that is true, we as a church have stepped back and said, okay, now, we've really got to reexamine our strategy here. Because we in the church have not done a good enough job of equipping you to maximize your influence. In fact, we feel like we've kind of underemphasized your calling by letting you just drop off and let the church handle it. And so we're changing some things. And I want to share some of that with you. Here's truth number two I want you to buy into. Here's truth number two. Parents, and you can write in grandparents if you need to, must own the spiritual development of their families. Now, I want to make you a promise. You can be confident in the quality of our children's and our student ministry. From the infant, the little baby that's first born, all the way up to high school, you can be confident in the quality. I'll put our family ministry team up against any other team in the world as far as caliber, quality, excellence, education, and knowledge, and passion for God and passion for kids, bar none. And you can count on the standard. You can't have confidence. I was a youth pastor for many years before I became a senior pastor, and I loved youth work. As one of my, I still kind of am just a secret youth pastor in my skin. You don't even know it, but I really love young people and, and connecting with them when I can. And I was leading, they asked me to lead this camp years ago in Bridgeport, Texas, for a bunch of United Methodist churches. And my topic on that particular night was sexual integrity. And that's interesting because our students this weekend in Burleson area have been in a thing called Storm, and the whole focus had been about sexual integrity. And they asked me if I would come do it at the camp. I said, yeah, I will. And so I used the metaphor of fire. That was my metaphor. And I had this little bitty, little three-inch little flame on this little table right here, kind of burning right there. And here's what I said. Teenagers, sex is kind of like fire. In the wrong environment, it can be very, very dangerous. And when you're at home by yourself with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, and your parents are at home, or you sneak into the bedroom, and there's no one else around but you, that is a very flammable environment. 
I had a little cup of kerosene, a little cup of kerosene, and I said, things can happen like this. And I threw that kerosene onto that little fire, and it went kaboof, and just the whole table caught on fire. I went, oh, no. <laughs> and I said, sometimes things can get a little hot. Because, man, the flame would have burning up. And then it started dripping off of the table onto the wooden stage, and it's starting to catch on fire. And I'm just kind of very casually, like, I planned this. Just, and sometimes things get out of control. And just you're not expecting something, and it happens. Because, see, before the whole thing, I had spilled kerosene all over the floor, and it's just burning. I'm going, oh, no. I'm thinking, this is over. i got to get this done. I mean, this is getting dangerous here. And I had a little towel. And I thought, what I need to do is I need to smother this fire. But the very only towel I had was a towel I used to wipe up the kerosene when I spilt it and getting ready. But in my absent-minded panic, I picked up the towel, I spit it out, and threw it on top of the table to smother it. It went, and this kid in the back says, we're going to die. I started screaming. I said, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. I need some help up here. Just come help me and sit down. I said, you will never forget this sermon illustration. <laughs> sure enough, sure enough, about six months later, we're back at the church. This young man named Bobby Reed. Uh, I can't believe I outlived him. Uh, he died this past year. He just, man, I heard about it. It just broke my heart. But this young kid could run. I mean, this kid could run like the wind. I don't remember a kid that could run this fast. That's one of the vivid memories I have of him. But also this one right here. He came running to me and said, Rick, 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 i got to tell you something. And what? He said, man, I was at home with my girlfriend and alone, and it was a fire in the fireplace, and all I could picture was we're going to die and burn up. So I got out of those like that. <laughs> Church, that is effective preaching. <laughs> that is effective. I went, yes, yes, <laughs> victory. But please hear this. The most well orchestrated and poorly executed sermon illustration <laughs> pales in comparison to the impact and the influence of you. Our family ministry team will knock it off the park every time your kids show up. They will pray over every one of your kids by name before they come on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. They know your kids. They pray over them by name. They will plan. They will be as creative and interesting as they can to hold their attention and teach them something of substance. But the impact they will make is, cannot be measured compared to the impact you can and you will have on their life. You can undermine or undergird everything we do here with one sentence out of your mouth in the car to your kids. It can all be gone just like that because of something you say or something you do. Your lifestyles and your values, parents, how you live the life in your family during the week They're watching you. Now, we want to partner with you. We want to partner with you to help you to do this job. The scripture says that's your job, not our job, it's your job. And I want to emphasize to you that when you stand before God, 
you will not be responsible for the spiritual development of my kids or my grandkids, nor will I be responsible for yours. You will stand before God, and the church will not be responsible. You will be responsible for the spiritual development of your children and your grandchildren and passing the baton of faith to the next generation. If your kids and your family, your crazy family, is going to come to know, seek the kingdom of God first. Love God. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. If they don't see it in the home, it's not going to happen in your kids. It's just not. I don't care what we do up here. It will not stick. So we're changing our strategy around here. We've been doing it behind the scenes. We're going to put another scripture up here on on the screen. Proverbs 14. Can you put that up there for me? Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, a secure home for their children. The home will be a refuge, and we want to help you, your home, to be a refuge. So here's what that means. No longer is the church plan A. Your home is plan A. The church is plan B. Because what happens in the home has more influence and more importance than anything we could do up here. So here's what we've done. Here's our strategy. Here about four years ago, we hired a young lady named Cheyenne Davis. She preached the weekend after Christmas. If you were here, you heard her speak. Her name is Cheyenne Davis. And her primary job is to be the parent advocate. And here's what her job is, to equip you and to resource you with the tools you need to do what you need to do in the home to do your job of raising up kids who love God and know Christ. And that's her job. That's the primary thing that she does. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to befriend us on Facebook and on Instagram, Pathway Family Ministries. So you need to write this down, Pathway Family Ministries, because every week, Cheyenne, through word, make sure there are posts online for little things you can do at home to help you that you don't know what to do. Prayers you can pray over your kids, fun activities for different ages, a different ways to have conversations in the car and the dinner table. Just tools to resource you. They're there. You just got to use them. When you walk out this worship time, every time you stop by the Jeep, right there by the Jeep, there's a little spindle of books and stuff. Every weekend, there's material there you can take and learn and grow in areas. All during this message series, stop out there by the big old brown wall right around this corner. We got resources out the kazoo on the wall, and someone to stop there and talk with you to answer your questions and give you what you need to have relevant conversations or even little experiments of things to do with your kids and grandkids to make it happen and stick in the home. We no longer do vacation Bible school around here. And sometimes people ask why. We stopped it two or three years ago. Why? Because vacation Bible school is just drop them off. And that's what many people do, it's just childcare. And we said that's not a very effective strategy. And so we have now every summer something called family camp where parents come with their kids for three or four nights and there's a lot of fun and the parents get training and information and while the kids roll, we were having a good time and you get fed and have a family meal together and it's a blast because we want to equip you and train you. We have dry faith home things all year long. That's where three or four times a year they'll have this topic about social media and how to protect your kids from pornography on social media and how this new program and that new program and all, all sorts of stuff. We're doing that to equip the parents. In fact, today at 11.50 in the sanctuary, some of you know that your kids at Storm this weekend have been talking about sexual integrity. 
all weekend long. So for those who are interested, 1150, there's going to be people in the sanctuary, parents can, bound for parents, to give you information on how to debrief and continue the conversation at home. As young as three years of age, we have material there for parents of three-year-olds to help you have, quote-unquote, the talk that you're so uncomfortable with, and we're going to help you with that. And it's there for you. You just got to access it. Because we want to drive faith into your home. Because you have the influence. And some of you say, well, Pastor, that's not me. I'm just not going to do that. That's just not me. Because some of you, you're just flat out insecure. And I get it. Because the church is not a good job, doing a job training you or empowering you. You feel insecure. You go, no, I know what my walk with Jesus is like. And I know where I am in my faith, and I know I'm doing some stuff I don't need to be doing, and there's some stuff I need to be doing I'm not doing, so no, I can't do that, not me. Or what if they ask me a question, and I don't, know how, I don't have the answer, uh, some theological thing, and I don't know the answer. And so you have no conversation. Can I say this very clearly? A bad conversation is better than no conversation. Just have a conversation. Even if kids ask you questions you don't understand and you don't know the answer to, you say, you know what, I don't know. That's a great question. I still have my sons ask me questions I don't know. I say, hey, I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. I don't know. That's okay to do about faith issues. With your, Be honest. Be transparent. That's okay. That's real. But at least have conversations. Well, pastor, you don't understand. Uh, my family's complicated. Uh, my husband, uh, he doesn't come to church with me. Uh, my wife, uh, she doesn't believe in Jesus. And, man, I'm just busting it to hold the family together because my spouse doesn't do anything. I just don't have any time. And now you're telling me i got to sit down with my kid for an hour a week or somewhere and get out of Bible and get out of the and teach them. You're crazy. I don't have time to do that. I'm not saying that at all. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying don't segment your faith. Here's what we believe at church, and here's what we do at home. I'm saying integrate the conversations about life and love and forgiveness and mercy and hope and future and purpose and kindness in every conversation you have at the dinner table, going to school, getting home from school, laying down after sports, during sports, while you're watching. And I'm talking about being a Jesus over-the-top holy roller. I'm just talking about being real in real-time conversation. I, mean, I remember growing up as a kid, we'd have family meetings about where we're going on vacation once a month. Where are we going on vacation this summer? Or, or we're having to move to another town. We're going to this town. We don't know where we're going to move. And we can't afford it. Blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? And we talk about it as a family. And we're finished. My dad would go, hey, let's close in prayer. And he'd kind of pray. And this is what he would say. He'd say, God, just guide us as a family. As we make these decisions about vacations or cars or whatever. And Amen. And that was it. It wasn't some lengthy, long prayer. And I, so I grew up thinking as a kid that God actually guides a family when you pray together. And so it's not that hard. Some of you need to write that down. God, guide our family as we, you fill in the blank. And that's all you got to, you'll be amazed. The impact of that, I still remember that biblically, that God does that. And some of you are going, Pastor, you still don't get it. That was fine for you. Your dad was a pastor and your mom was bought in. But I'm a single mom, I'm a single dad, and I got to do it all by myself. And uh, there's no way I can do that. If you're a single mom or a single dad, please hear this. In this church, we have the utmost respect and love for you. And I will tell you, some of the single moms in this church are heroes of mine. Uh, I'm just in awe of what you have to do, single moms. You've got to work. 
You got to do the clothes. You got to clean the house. You got to get the kids ready. You got to get the homework done. You got to take care of everything. And then you got to have some sort of loving, stable kind of environment. And then you got to take care of yourself some way. And I just go, how do you do it? I love these two passages of scripture right here on the screen. We're going to put both of them up here just real quickly here. Proverbs 27, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Know it in Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God. And what I believe, widows, contemporary parallel is single moms in our day and time. I really do believe that in scripture. And uh, I just want to say this to single moms. The world may judge you and condemn you, because I know that happens in our culture. We look at single moms, we go, ah, and we kind of put a little, church, don't do that. They don't need that. Their job is hard enough. Their job is hard enough. And single moms especially, I want you to hear this, God is the defender of single moms. He knows and he understands. And if you just do a little something with your kids, you will be amazed. And I will tell you, parents, some of those winsome, healthy kids I've ever seen in my life have been from single-parent households or blended families. That's true. Some of the most wholesome and well, just a little bit goes a long way. Now, let me go back to, our, to, to Atlanta, and I'm going to pray over and get you out of here real quickly in Atlanta. In Atlanta, not everybody said, not everybody said, my mom or dad. One person actually said this. Uh, that's good for you, but my dad left when I was a kid. I never remember my dad being at home. And my mom wouldn't go to church. She didn't believe in Jesus. And so a high school friend, a buddy of mine, invited me to church, and I went. And that small group leader took me in, got to know me, and I was baptized. And that changed my whole life. And that's the role of the church. That's the church. You, serving down these hallways when these kids walk off the street who were born into homes that were so complicated, you don't understand how complicated their lives are. And they walk into the church, this church, and they're angry, and they're hard, and they're sarcastic, and they got an edge, and you see these kids, and you just want to throw them away. And I ask you, church, I beg you to look past the cynicism, look past the edge, and look beneath the, and see the heart that just needs to know they're irrationally loved by God. And you wrap your arms around them and say, God loves you, and we do too, and change the legacy of a kid who doesn't have plan A. And that's plan B, the job of the church. And when that happens, this past summer, a 17-year-old in this church was baptized whose family had never been in church and connected to gang activity. But he came hang out here on a Wednesday night. And people took interest in him. And it totally changed the trajectory of where his future is going to be. Because of the church. Here's the last point. I know you're ready to get out of here. Beautiful things happen when the family and the church come together. When plan A and plan B come together, wow, things happen. I mean, the power of God, wow, unleashes. When families in the church. I was stopped in a grocery store by this mom. And she said, Pastor, you don't know me. Uh, my son's been going to your church. 
Three years ago, our family broke up. My husband left. It's been nothing but hell in our house. And my son had an attitude. But somebody took him out of a small group of your church, and they sat down with him, some man, for two hours, just spent time with him for two hours. And something's changed. He's a totally different person. He even has a nice attitude towards me, and he helps with his sisters. Something's happened. He even opens his Bible. And I just want to say thank you. Beautiful things happen when the church and families work together. I was stopped out of this hallway right here by a parent who said, thank you. I said, why? I don't even know you. Why are you saying thank you? Because I have a child, a child has autism. And we've been to a lot of churches, and there's no churches that have a place for special needs kids. But you have a place down your hallway that's been trained to minister to special needs kids. So my wife and I can come to worship for the first time as a couple and have our cup filled and that's never happened before. I just want to say thank you. Powerful things happen when the families and the church come together. Church, plan A is you in your homes. Plan B is us, the body of Christ, young and old, single, married, with kids, without kids, serving the kids who come here and loving them with the incredible power and the grace of God. We need your help. We need your help in your home and here for the kids who don't have plan A. Now, several years ago, here's how we're going to end up. Several years ago, we had this young girl in the church who grew up in this church, and she died in a terrible car accident. She's 23 years of age. She grew up with our oldest. And so we're having a memorial service in the sanctuary. And at the end of the worship time, the mother comes and she stands before the congregation and she holds this little white dress. This is the dress that she and her husband dedicated their little daughter in. It was a dysfunctional home. The dad was hardly ever around. He had severe alcohol issues. But the mother would not give up. And now the casket of her daughter was killed in a car wreck. It's right here. And she holds that little white dress and she looks out and she says, God, 23 years ago, I dedicated my daughter to you and I did my best to raise her in the ways of Jesus. But she never really belonged to me. She belongs to you. And so today, when she laid the dress on the casket, today, I give my daughter back to you. My job is done. She walked off the stage. I would like anybody in the house who's a parent or a grandparent of anyone 18 or older and under in their house, I would like to ask you to stand right where you are in the state. In the, just stand where you are. Same in the sanctuary. I'd like to invite you to stand. Nothing's going to happen. I just want you to stand. I promise you, if you have responsibilities, a parent or grandparent, 18 or older, under your responsibility, in your home or in your life, watching online or True Worth, I invite you to stand. I want you to look around. I don't want you to pick somebody standing close to you. Just, just identify somebody. Sitting or standing, identify somebody. I'm going to about to ask you to do something for them. You see them? Pick out somebody, even without knowing their name. You've got an incredible job. Very important job. Now, everybody else stand. Everybody else stand around them. If you want to put your hand up on somebody or pray for them, you can. Almighty God, 
prayer of blessing and protection over these parents and grandparents and the work they have to do. God, the older I get, the more I become aware of achievement and climbing the ladder at work and the saving of all this money and building of stuff, God, it pales in comparison to the thrill of the shaping and development of a child into a human being, into an adult who knows you and loves you, who makes good decisions in the world, who has character, who has convictions that are deep about faith and about life and about family. So, God, I pray upon these families who stood first, these, these adults, God, who had this enormous responsibility, God, and I pray you would cause a fire to burn within them, to burn, first of all, their own life for you. They burn so much, their kids will see it, and they'll grab hold of it, and it will catch on fire in their lives too, God. That will change and transform this world through the family, God. And God, you know our nation, we need some healing. And so this work's important. So protect these moms and dads and grandparents and bless them, bless them, bless them for the work they have to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Please come back next week. We got a treat next week. You're not going to, it's going to bless your family a lot, okay? It's going to bless your family a lot.